Good evening. Hope everyone is well. My name is Tabriz, host of the Stoppage Time Penalty Show. Thank you to everyone that's tuning in. Please like and like, subscribe, do all of the great stuff because it kind of helps out the channel. So let's go straight straight into it. The special guest is Coach Barry, founder of Independent. But before we kind of go into that, I would quickly want to go over the results from from yesterday's games. Uh, so let me quickly go go over, and um, I've got. Um, hopefully a few people that, that are going to come on and literally talk about their games. So let's start with Division 1. Division 1, Glebe 5, um, Sporting Santos 4, Independent 1, London South Masters. Sorry, yeah, Independent 1, London South Masters 4, Johnson & Phillips 2, Charcoal 6, Leone Stars 0, Long Lane 4, New Park Vets 6, Metro Gas 2, and this is how the table looks right now. Um, LSU Masters 1st, Long Lane 2nd, Charcoal 3rd, Leonie Stars 4th, New Park 5th, Glebe 6th, Independent 7th, Sporting Santos 8th, Johnson, Johnson & Phillips 9th, and Metro Gas 10th. Let's go to Division 2. Hollington 1, Ball Street Runners, sorry. Hollow Street 3, Ball Street Runners 1, um, LSU Legends 2, Kawuya 4, Nord Lakers um, Vets 1st 1, Wallingham 2, Parkwood Rangers uh, 0, Catford 4, Seagas 5, Cray Wanderers 1. And this is how the table looks right now. Catford 1st, Seagas 2nd, Kawuya 3rd. Hollington 4th, Wallingham 5th, Bow Street 6th, Parkwood 7th, Norwood Lakers 8th, London Legends 9th, and Cray Wanderers 10th. So again, thank you everyone uh, for like tuning in. Uh, let me let me bring in the first person or like I'd say like, like one of um one of like the first influencers in in the master scene. Big, big shout out to Ainsley. Hi, how, how you doing, sir? Yes, the breeze. What's going on, my brother? You all good? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Um, yes. could you talk about the uh, Catford game yesterday, please? Um, yeah, obviously, as you know, he was there. We won 4 1, every 4 1. I'm going mad. We won 4 0, and um, we started slow at the blocks, and um. Yeah, man, it was just like a, it was one of them scrappy performances. But second half, we took it to them. But the only reason why I'm saying we started slow at the blocks because of the um, quality we got in the team and the standards that that set. We was in control from the first minute to the last minute, but we just started slow to our normal pace. Do you get what I'm saying? So um, yeah, it was just a it was a convictory victory, really, mm. very convicted. And um. Actually, what like, are the strengths of uh, Parkwood Rangers? They're one of them sides that are like I wouldn't say they're not a footballing side because they are. They got one or two people that can play football, but they are they are ugly side to play against. You know what you're gonna get with them? They're gonna battle. They're gonna put tackles in. As you saw, they was flying around in tackles, and you know what I mean. That's just kind of they play to their strengths, isn't it? Tall side, good in the air. You know what I mean? So they're just one of them sides that's going to put themselves about, really. Mm. And yeah, and for Catford, you know, 
keeping keeping two clean sheets. Um, you know, um, the kind of midfield and the kind of forward line are kind of you know jelly, you know, gelling well. How how excited um are you with the team right now? We start we started good early, obviously it's early days, isn't it? But um one thing I did say to the players that we've got to do we've got to start better than we did last season. Because obviously last season we lost our first four games, innit? Um, this season we got better at that, and we're we're, make, we're we're making them steps. So the team started well, and our centre back pairing, the two at the back, absolutely solid. Um, midfielder doing what they're supposed to be doing, and the strikers are doing what they're supposed to be doing. So as a team, I think everyone's just, you know, just pulling together really and making it work. Mm-hmm. And the first things first. As a team, we've got to be hard to beat. We all know we can play football. Do you know what I'm saying? But it's just about being hard to beat at the same time. Yeah. And and, and the kind of vet space now, um, with like social media, with like teams now documenting their like games, how how exciting is this era in, in like Masters football? You know what? It's good, you know. Obviously, you're the gatekeeper. I always tell you that even though you like to play it down, and be like, nah, nah, you are the gatekeeper. So, like obviously, everyone should try and get behind you and support your what you're doing because without you, some people wouldn't know the results. Because a lot of people might not log on to the Southern Vets League and check the results. Some people might just follow on Instagram. You know what I mean? And you're the platform that everyone seems to be watching. Because I see a lot of people at you um, come on your show. So um, at the end of the day, we all need to we all need to pull together and make it work. Because the scene's going. When I was first playing vets football, there was none of this. Do you understand? There was none of this at all. So, so it's it's good, man. It's good. It's good. I'm not yeah. really into the. I'm not really into the too much banter in the circus part of it. But obviously, it's good for results. Seeing what other teams are doing, players that sign for other teams and all that. It's good, man. It's, yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's a good mix, and, yeah. and uh this week or next week, depending on like, how like people look. Look on Sunday, uh, we have Seagas at home. Um, and again, Seagas are going to be a very, very tough team. Yeah, Seagas are a good side, man. They're a good side. They've got some good players in there. They've been in the division, like, obviously for a while. Um, I know a few of their players. They're a good side. They will give us a good game. They always do. You know what I'm saying? Um, obviously, that's what, it's going to be our first home, home game. So, looking forward to playing on the carpet. And... Um, yeah, it should be a good game. It's gonna definitely be a good game. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and it's funny, you know, if I was gonna rate like the team performance yesterday, actually, yeah, I will. I would say that it felt like we didn't even get out of second gear. Like you know, it just felt felt like that. You know, like that. And literally, yeah. you know, I think like the team's got a lot. You know, like a lot of a lot of gears to kind of get through, and you know, it's 100%. gonna be scary. Hundred percent, but what it is, and this is what I was saying to someone today. Who was talk. Obviously, you know this as well. Um, I think with with most teams, but definitely from our point of view, it's like the better the opposition. I think everyone more raises their game. So I think when we play the so-called teams that we think we should be on paper, everyone gets people. The complacency kicks in, and that's what you're talking about. Yesterday, we didn't really get out of gear, but. We did what we needed to do to get the three points. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's what I that's what I'd say. 100. Love that, Ainsley. Honestly, thank you, thank you so much for like coming on and uh, representing Catford. 
And uh, yeah, I will I will see you at the game um, on su- on Saturday. Yeah, no problem, man. Keep up the good work to do. I'll see you soon, yeah? Thank you. Thank uh, you. Nice one. So again, thank you. Thank you so much uh, to like, Ainsley coming on and literally talking about like the Catford game. So um, I just want to welcome our our special guest, Coach Barry, to the show. Coach, how you doing, sir? Wow, good evening to Bruce. Good evening, good evening. Yeah, good evening. and good evening to all the listeners. Thank you for tuning in. Wow. Well, you know, this is uh this has been a conversation that I've been looking forward to. You know, um, you know, you you are a very, very, very busy man. I'm doing like so much for for kind of um football on the pitch and also off it. So um actually this has been this has been in the making for a couple of weeks. Actually a few weeks actually. <laughs> <laughs> so um let's let's kind of start right right at the beginning so um um your your kind of childhood um could you kind of talk about how much your like parents or kind of any cousins or siblings influenced you in terms of not only with the football side of it but just being who you are at this present moment in time Influenced me. Um, uh, grew up in Brixton. Went to school in Brixton Hill to Breeze. Went to Richard Atkins School in Brixton Hill. Lived on lived on um, just near Water Lane, next to Brixton College, Horsford Road. Then from Horsford Road, moved into Summer Layton Estate. Um, I'm the youngest. I've got six brothers, three sisters. Um, my elders. The elders are still live in Jamaica. They've never, two of my brothers never left Jamaica. They've lived in there all their lives. Um, I've got a sister here. I've got, I had three brothers here, but one of my brothers got killed in an incident in Brixton years ago when I was 15. He got, no, 18, sorry. When he was 18. Um, I didn't really know my dad. My dad. My dad passed away when I was 15, going to school. So he was never influenced. He's never really around me. Um, my mom grew most of us up, five of us up together. Um, didn't have no real influence because uh, my two brothers were more into, don't like football, they're into rugby. My brother's into rugby, um, sound systems, things like that. My biggest influence was into music. A lot of people didn't know that I was, I did DJing for a bit whilst I was coaching, did concerts, did stuff like that. So the biggest influence for me in football was just, I don't know, it's just, I lived on some let's day, all the boys played football and I got involved. To Breeze, I did start playing football till I was 11. Mm. 11 years old. Because mm. the, the dynamics of the family was different from other people's family. Mm. So I'm not going to really go into that, but my dynamic, the dynamics of my family was different from a lot of people. They're growing up on some let in the state. So, um, so growing up in Brixton, in like that generation, um, mm. how, how like was it? You know, she was, you know, of course, the kind of national front, you know, very, uh, very um, prominent. Um, literally, how how like, was the racial tension um, around Brixton and literally around the, uh, the surrounding areas? Um, the racial tension in that area changed once they stopped doing community policing. Because when I, when I was first lived in Brixton, like early, late 70s, 80s, um, you knew the police. We had police on the foot, foot patrol, so you knew them. 
And then it got worse once you had people, things like police stop and search. Police started to drive around in SPG vans, the fans. And then with all the racial tension started from there, coming onto your state, bullying us. When you walk in, they'll just search us, throwing us into the back of the vans, beating us up. Things like that. You fit the description. Pair of trainers, pair of jeans and a jacket. So that was, that's, that's the sort of era, era I, I grew up in with a lot of tension through a lot of different families onto an estate, mm-hmm. in a large estate on some late estate. You had Summer Layton, you had Stockwell, you had Cowley, you had Five Waves. When I lived on some late estate, there was no um, Southwick house that was even built yet. That was still being built. That's how early I moved onto some late estate. The people who are listening and know about Brixton will understand what I'm saying. That's how early I moved onto some late. It's one of the first families to move onto some late estate. Mm-hmm. So, so you could have touched upon your two brothers liking rugby. Um, mm. So why didn't you follow suit and literally what was the, you know, what was that kind of magic, I don't know, I say dust for you to go down the uh, football route? Because all the best footballers come from these sort of environments. You see like some later states, Stockwell, I had family in Peckham. And then I grew up with my, one of my closest friends, a guy called Roger Winters. And he was, he went on to play for, he was playing for Arsenal when he was young, played for England, um, played for Millwall, went to America. And we've done everything. We played Sunday football together. We played on the estate together. And then more and more boys from our estate were top footballers. Yeah, I was playing with lots of top, top footballers at a very young age. That's why I improved so quickly. It's because of my surroundings. All we had was a big, we had a school, Hill Mid School was in the middle with a concrete pitch. So I learnt my trade playing there and at a place called Loughborough Park. But all the players we, me and Roger Winters played with was all older than us. We never played with, we was playing with big guys. When we we're 13, 14, we we're playing with guys 20, 21, 19. People can understand what I'm saying. We grew up on the States. So once you got the ball, you had to learn to keep that ball to enjoy your game. Mm-hmm. And once you're talented, you're the bigger players want you to be on the side. And that's how we learned how to play football. And because Roger had such a big name, he's carrying me here, carrying me there. He took me, when he went to Millwall, I went to Millwall. But once again, my family dynamics, going to Millwall, couldn't stay there. Then I went to Southampton. I was never going to make it at Southampton because I never had no support in my football career. I never had no family or anyone supporting me. It was just me, pair of boots and goes for a game of football. And that's how it was. So was like football almost, yeah, almost like your escape from... Um, from your household, so literally that was, like... it was football. It was football and it was music. Football and music was my escape from all the problems going on at home, all that sort of stuff. What's going on, my brothers and things like that. All my escape was through. My brothers had a massive sound system back in the day. Used to play big competitions. I was going. I've been going sound system from my ten years old and watching DJs and clashes. Yeah, Saxon and all that. Saxon used to come and I don't know if you know Saxon Coxon. I lived, there. I lived here. Coxon lived 15 yards from me, blacker, blacker dread. Yeah, so we all grew up. Dread Diamonds. People who's listening will understand we know Brixton. Shepherds, Brixton Town, all that thing. You might not know the culture down there, but it was back in the day, it was all sound systems. Mm. My brothers was into the sound system, so I followed that. So music and football was always my escape. Okay. So from the, from the ages of, let's say, 11 to 14, um, mm. you know, um, how... How was your school dynamic, you know, with with your peers, with your, you know, teachers? And did they spot 
your like talent of like football or literally was it just with Roger and your peers outside of well I didn't play for the school football team till I was 12 or 13 till they realized I, I wasn't interested I was already playing I was playing Sunday football with Roger was playing Sunday football for a team so me and Roger was playing Sunday football for a very good Sunday team and then the teacher at P once saw me playing with the they had to split the school teams. All the best players played at the top for the school football team. All the ones who were interested just played at the bottom at the kickabout. And I done the kickabout. And so I joined that year. The teacher came in and said, you got up to the top. And I scored a couple of goals. And from there, my career started with the school. And ended up breaking the school goal scoring record at 14. I scored 49 goals in the season. And it just went on from there. And I started to enjoy it. But... Um, my full passion was never playing football. I don't know why. I just played and then that was it. I went like 100% football, football, football. I went football mad to be tell you the truth. Mm. I went football mad. And and like now you kind of look 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 back when like you was, you know, uh, 13, 14. Can you kind of pinpoint why, why you wasn't interested in football? Because I, as I said before, I was surrounded by music. Mm. Everyone in my household was music, 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 music. And my brothers had sound. I was very much influenced by sound. And I got into DJing and things like that. So my main passion was music, trying to get into the music and doing a bit of football. It's only after when I realised, wow, I am good. Because you have this self-realisation that you are good at it. I pushed myself on from there. Um, so you could have mentioned that um, you're like dad passed away when he was 15 mm. um, and and like you also said that you know you wasn't close with your dad I mean what what was your kind of earliest memory you know well do you do you like have any any memories of your dad and she how and how did you feel when when the when you kind of got the news that your dad passed away probably stay um it was very traumatic for me because I, I was trying to get to to know my father very well but my father lived up in the country he lived up north he lived up north, I lived in London. But I, anything I wanted, he was one of those dads he gave more than I actually loved, you understand? Mm-hmm. So anything I wanted, I'd get, but he didn't really get, I didn't have that connection with him, that love connection with him. So he's giving more than actually seeing him and being with him. I saw him a few times and that was it. So there weren't that really connection there with him. But I knew he would give me anything I wanted, but I, I needed more than that, if you understand what I mean. Yeah, I needed more than that, especially when you're young and you're seeing other people with their dads and the connection they had. And when you get into football, that's all you see is boys with their dads. And I'm going there. Well, I've got well, a couple of mates with me, and that was it. Mm. But we get used to it. we grow. Come on, we build this wall around us, don't we? So we get used to it. Mm. You you also mentioned you know um, quite quite openly that you, you know you would like travel to a lot of these football grounds with literally like your boots your shirt and you know like a couple of mates uh, and um and again you know please correct me if i'm wrong i mean it must have been um quite quite an eye opener going to different areas not really knowing you know you know how to get to certain places and and literally performing to your optimum right literally how was how did like that kind of come into it? To breeze when you're when you're from the estates, you you know how to travel. You know your way around. You know the road. Remember, we're young boys from some late estate. We know our way. 
we're going into the West End. We're traveling all over on it. We, we're used to traveling about. We don't stay. We need to go out. You move out. Yeah. Where we need to go, we get there. Yeah. It's not like now where the kids got mummy and daddy driving them everywhere. If you need to get somewhere, you have to go. Yeah. Mm. So, you have to get there and get that. That's how it was. That's what life was like for us. You, you go into new areas. So, um, can you like tell me or, or give me one one like, instance where like you was like pretty kind of conscious of in terms of your surroundings and like you were thinking, you know what, if like something actually kicks off here, you know, something could actually go down. Well, we played a we played a massive tournament in Erif. Erif, um, loads of us was playing a, a knockout tournament in Erif. And we got completely surrounded. We was playing a semi-final against all these ex, there was mainly ex Millwall youth. Um, Barry Hells can tell you, Barry Hells was there, Roger Williams was there, Michael Morgan was there, a few, and we got completely surrounded. The pitch was completely surrounded. So we're thinking to ourselves, if we win this game, this might kick off here. You understand? Yeah, yeah. We've gone into Erif Ken. I don't know if you know Erif Ken. And we're thinking, we've got to but nothing, eventually nothing really happened. It was just all handbags, all mouth, won the game and we went home. So nothing really happened, but it was a very tense atmosphere at the time. So as soon as we won, we just got out of there because we know we're outnumbered, we're not in that area, and everybody knows what Eric's reputation likes. So we just won the game and get out of there. But that was the first time I really felt threatened that I gave football. Really felt threatened. And uh, what, at what age were you? Yeah. It was 20s. It was all in our 20s. Okay. It was all in our early 20s. All right. And um, you've, like, spoken really highly of, like, Barry Hells and, and like, you know, also Roger as well, um, you know, and um, probably, and again, please, please kind of correct me. I mean, how did you see their, their setup in terms of how, how family supported them? And, you know, was it kind of something that you kind of yearned for? Well, well I mean, you kind remember, of... Remember, um, Barry Hills was the first, one of the first footballers I ever coached. He was part of the first team I ever had. It was Barry Hills, um, Sean Foster, um, Wayne Armstrong. Um, I can't remember, I'm trying to remember who else was in the team. But all, ex, all excellent, excellent footballers. We won many. We started off as a five-a-side team at Accra. I was managing a five-a-side team, Barry Hills and a few others. And they won everything, really, every tournament they won. As you know, Barry Hills went on to be Wayne Armstrong, I think, played for a few clubs as well. And then I think he lives in Brighton right now. I'm sure Wayne Armstrong is Brighton. And Sean's still around. Everybody knows Sean Foster. He's still mm. But we had great memories there. Barry... Barry, Wayne, and those sort of players at that age. We, what people don't understand, back then, there was no such thing as, a, you know, like academy? Yeah. So these boys were played against the best players. So if you played for Arsenal, you could still play for your local club. If you played for Liverpool or as a kid, you could still play for your lo- local clubs. These boys are just coming together from the estate and playing against these type of players and teams and beating them comfortably. So that's why I said that what people talk about now, they don't remember the past and the recognition you had. And that's what I was trying to explain to you before about Sunday football. When I was a semi-professional, that's a semi-professional, we all played Sundays. Yeah? We were contract players playing Sundays, so the level was way high. Way, way high. Imagine all contract players playing on a Sunday team. 
You understand? We all played Sunday. So that's why we had that close connection. That's why me and Barry are close to today. Because I've known him from a little kid. I coached him as a little kid all the way through. So the connection is close. Family ties are very close with all of these people. We all grew up together. Mm-hmm. You, um, your, your opportunity at Millwall, you, you actually said because of how Millwall was at the time and can also the family... No, it, wasn't because of, it wasn't because of Millwall, it was because of my family dynamics. Okay, so, so um, because of your family dynamics, why, why, why didn't you go further in the kind of Millwall system? Well, for one, financial reasons. How am I going to get there? How am I going to get there? Who's going to pay all this money? I can't do it. It's just my mum, five of us. My mum with five young children in a council estate, some left estate. How is she going to do that? Hmm? The people don't recognise. A lot of my life, I wait for my brother. I see a nice jumper, he's got, I want it. You understand? He's got a nice pair of shoes. I said, boy, I'm going to get a wear off of him if he got to Adidas. Yeah, Adidas and Nike was something wild to us. Not like now. It was, it was different back then to Breezes. Mm. So, I was, yes. wearing, I, was, I was wearing Woolworth trainers. I don't know if you know, supermarket trainers. Yeah. Supermarket football boots. So, to, 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 um, did you kind of ever feel that you was fighting for everyone's attention, being being the youngest child? No, not really. No, no, because everybody just got on it. Every my brother and sisters just got on with their lives. My brother's just running the sound systems. My sisters are rushing the fire engines into that. And everybody was just doing their own thing. We were left literally to do our own things. So most of my life was I have to chart out my career by myself, very individual charting out my career. Whilst mum's trying to keep the family unit together. So it was that kind of lifestyle. So from Millwall to Southampton, mm. what was the kind of, um, I'd say, kind of a year or like month gap between those two clubs? That was, um, I went to Southampton a few, what was that, a few years later. I just jumped on, Southampton was really weird. My friends, had a trial at Southampton and he goes, Barry, you want to come? And I goes, how am I going to get there? So we bunked the train and went up to Southampton. Bunked the train, got to Southampton, just like that. And the guy just gave us gave us some kit and we were just in the trial. But he, he had rolled off and got accepted. And he goes, come with me because you want company. And both of us just went out there. And we both done really well. He went back. His family supported him to go back. So he played a few games for them. And I couldn't go. I just went for that day. I just went a day out. Really enjoyed it. And once again, it showed that you could play at that level. You, you could. I could play at that level. And he goes, why didn't you come back? So a lot of the times I was hiding why I couldn't go for and do certain things. So I said, oh, now you got all the best and I just stayed back. Mm-hmm. But after that, I went into Accra and the coaching where I found myself. Okay. That's where I really started to find my own identity. So before we kind of get into like that kind of coaching and the uh, and like Accra and so I kind of want to go and probably delve a little bit into the sound systems because you've like talked about music a lot and literally I've not really kind of got you know gone into it. There must have been a moment where you know you like must have been you know at a dance <laughs> <or>, and, <laughs> and you know again you know you. Um, 
you've like said that you know that's literally where like your brothers really enjoyed um you know you know the like journey so you know becoming so so she moving from the sound systems they're like must have been one pivotal moment where he's like you know what i have to put the music aside for me to chase my dream in terms of becoming a you know a professional footballer oh he's gone he's gone he's gone where has coach barry gone this is this is live guys this is this is just how it is this is absolutely hopefully you you like guys are are enjoying this i've got jose that kind of came in and said he's looking forward um to this um and it's like it's literally on a coat um a coach trip away from home for four hours i think coach barry is back let's let's get coach back in apologies the mic was going sorry not a problem not a problem yeah so um they're like you know it must have been a pivotal moment where you're like i can either take the music seriously or really really focus on you know um my football career what was that pivotal moment um the lifestyle <laughs> i couldn't keep up with the lifestyle of dj it was it was intense it was very intense um going out at night playing football going out djing and coming back i used to play for a team called um, ten and b um, big up errol palmer tony davis and daddy big up all of those guys play for ten and b in that's where Ian Wright was. Um, we had so many great... Conrad, God bless his soul. Ian Wright's cousin, fantastic footballer. Herman, Fred, my captain. All the great players. Roger was there as well. Tony Isaac's master was there. We had a fantastic, fantastic team. And out of all those players, I get Ian Wright made it into the pro game. But the joke was, we used to go out together on a Saturday night. Yeah? We used to go raving. And because we was going raving, we wouldn't sleep. So we'd bring all our boots and our kit, yeah, <laughs> and put it in the boot of the car. So many games, and all of the manager knew, Tony, my, um, Errol Palmer, Tony Davis might know now, we'd come back straight from the dance and go straight to the game on a Sunday morning. Because we had so many good players, but yeah, we can do that. Let's just go out and rave. Ain't worth sleeping two hours sleep, and then we'd go straight to the game. So that was the line. And sometimes I'd be going out DJing and playing sound system and then trying to make my way back, and it was getting too much too much and I was really enjoying my football playing with friends and good players I like the more social side of playing that I, did, I preferred more when I played semi-pro mm. playing to Sunday with people I knew and enjoyed playing with um, so go, going back to your Southampton trial mm. and then playing semi-pro what mm. what age did you go to the Southampton trial and then the semi-pro. Oh, you know? young. Um, I just um, Southampton was, I was at college. I was about eighteen. Okay, and 18. Uh, and then and, I stopped playing football altogether to Greece for like uh, two years. And um, that that coincides with your with your brother passing away. Yeah. And how? how well, I mean, you know, um, I know it's a stupid question, but you know. Um, that like must have taken a toll on the family, on yourself. Yeah, yeah um, very hard. Yeah, very traumatic. How, yeah. how you know, literally? How? I mean, it's it's like you know probably something that you still think about to this day. Obviously, to breathe because I like I don't think you understand it. If if you lose a family 
member by natural causes is different, but my brother was murdered. So it was very traumatic on, on the family. He was murdered when I was 15. And it was me and my sister who had to identify the body. So it had, it had a terrible effect on the family. Terrible effect. As I said, I keep saying to you, there's lots of stuff I don't really um, talk about much. So, But that was, you can understand the effect it had on the family. And... So within those two years, um, you you didn't play football. Um, well, I I tried to. I was I was affected by it, and it took time to get over it. It took the whole family time because we saw uh, my mother had a had a slight kind of breakdown, so it was very difficult for us. So that once again, that was just my escape. Playing football and music was my escape. The home life was. The, the atmosphere had completely changed again. So, yeah. And uh, did you feel that, you know, um, but you kind of had to grow up a lot quicker and, you know, there was a lot more responsibility to, to support the, you know, support the household and kind of also mm -hmm. physically and mentally support your mum? Yeah. Yeah. So from so from playing with ten and B, and then of course turning turning eighteen, uh, when no, ten and B was after that. Ten was, and B was, was, was was well okay. So ten and B was was after. So was after. But after I started to play for like Dulwich, Carshall, teams like that, to the Mitchum, and then from there moved into my friend Fred got me into um, ten and B. He took me and Roger Winters and Tony Isaacs over to Ten and B. When, when did you realise that you had to go back into football? After I never, I never really left it. I was still playing like small side, five side, and things like that. Because that was more of a social where I met with friends and playing. I could forget everything when I was playing football or playing music. That I just went to a different world. My mind was gone. So it's a way of, it's a, it's a lot of escape. Because mm. how do people deal with trauma? That's that's the biggest thing, isn't it? How do you release that trauma? How do you get rid of it? Now, big up for Frank, because Frank always talks about that. Coach Frank. It, well, I mean, you know, it's, you know, you know I think, uh, I think trauma is always with us. Uh, you know, um, we can, we can move on with our lives and like journeys, but, you know, um, I think trauma is kind of always like, like a deep rooted emotion that like no one else will ever ever understand until they go through something something similar. Yeah, but it's how you make it affect you because it can easily turn into depression, which we spoke about already on the show. How many players and people have depression and they're walking around with these anxieties and traumatic and you won't even realize because they put the mask on when they come outside, but inside they die inside. There's no way for them to release it. So it's, it's very difficult. So you got sometimes you got to change your whole life and you'll help the whole way you think, which we spoke about before. But 
I won't go too deep into that to be having a conversation now mm. we, can, we can go as deep as we, mm. as we need to and um so so where where like did the coaching start and and like did you get into coaching because in the back of your mind you knew you you like couldn't get to the heights that you wanted to like get unless you was coaching just a way just to just to still be in the footballing community how did how did that start um I was playing for, I met uh, a man called Derek Acker, came on to Sumner State, and he was running just five sides between them. The guys are winning everything. And they said, everybody was looking, said, this guy's looking for me. And I said, why is he looking for me? You've got a good team and they're winning. So he was looking for me. He said, who's this Barry Kiska in my name? So um, finally, I started to play. We started to win. And then he goes, he's thinking of starting youth teams. So he started youth teams. So I got into it totally by accident. He goes, oh, we're sure take over these boys, start coaching them and bring them to a tournament. And he had the older boys, so took the boys. Don't know nothing about coaching, never coached in my life. Yeah, never coached. All I had is a, a group of six, seven boys, took them to a tournament and we won it. And I can't remember how we won it, but we won it. All I know, they were very talented boys and we won the tournament. Mm -hmm. And from there, I started to get a little buzz, say, hold on, I'm kind of good at this. This is something I, I'm enjoying it. You understand? I like the organizing them, being in charge, managing them, the, the little tactics we're using, and looking at players and thinking he can go there, he can do that. He needs, and that's how I sort of got into the coaching. But even though I did we won, I was still playing football. I wasn't 100% into the coaching. I was still playing whilst I was at Accra. And that was in 1982. And then we formed Accra properly in 1983 when we finally got a constitution and turned it into a proper club. And the council gave us the flat 138 Southwick House. I still remember the address. And from there, we started to build a club. And how old were you when you took your first coaching session with those six lads? Oh, God. Teenager. Still a teenager. Still, I was... I think I was still at college. So, that... so I was playing and coaching, but I was still playing and coaching. I wasn't 100% into the coaching. Well, uh, someone must have seen something in you. Um, because, again, coaching is, is also about influence. So, um, so, like, someone must have felt that you, that you, that, that you had some sort of influence to... That was, that, was, that was Derek. He was, like, more like my... He believed... I could be a great coach. He just believed because I had a good, the way I could influence and get the boys, like I said before, trust. The boys trusted what I was doing and the, the way I was speaking to them and, they, and the way I got them to play and they enjoyed the way we played. Because that's one thing with football, you can, it's all about coaching. They've, they've, you've got to enjoy it and trust what someone's telling you to do. And does it work? Is this working for me? Am I enjoying it? Are all the boys enjoying it? And that's what you want. Everybody felt a part. That's why we were so successful. If everybody believes in that cause and everybody believes in what you're doing, you can get somewhere. And it was my consistency as well. I'm very consistent when I coach and what I do. So they became consistent with me. Do you understand? They believed in the journey and what we were doing together. It's about me. It's about all of us together as a unit, as one. 
So um, I've got a few comments coming in now. Um, so uh, Jay Sheridan has, has, has said, big up Uncle Barry, manners and respect always, <laughs> JB. And, yeah, bless up, and, um, and Nana's come in, said, good evening, Coach Barry. Thanks for all the amazing work you've done and still do for grassroots football, especially mm. with black kids. Much respect and blessings to you, Baza. Thank you, Nana. Thank you. Uh, and um, I've got a question here, but but you know I'm going to hold back on the questions until later. So again, if like you know anyone's got any questions, please please put them in the comments, and then I will try and get back to them um, later on. So um, when you formed the constitution at Accra, after um, mm. big up, it was a, a lady we had called Amelda Inyang. She was a Lambeth councillor. She's the one who put structured our club together with Derek Accra myself. Roger Saul, do you know Roger Saul? No. The founder of Lambeth All Stars. Oh, I know. I didn't know a second. Um, yeah, Roger. Yeah. I know Roger. Me and, me and Roger were neighbours on some land estate. We're next to neighbours. Okay. So we all, see, all of us grew up together. He so, lived at, I lived at four, he lived at five. So we grew up together from primary school. So, um, so when kind of Accra was, was like now an official club, mm. you know, um, you were still playing? You were like, you know... I was playing, coaching and taking teams at the same time. So um, where was that kind of, I'd say, that 100% transition into coaching? I want to know that specific time. Like, and Oh, you... that's when I just said, I just got fed up of semi-professional football, fed up of all the politics, all the crap, kept on being in and out of the first team, the reserves, first team. And I just said, no, I'm, I'm finished. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. And and you've kind of and you've kind of skirted around like the crap and the politics. Can you kind of um, tell us exactly what 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 that type of politics and? Well, it still goes in semi-professional football. You could be playing in the first team and the manager gets sacked. Every manager walks with his entourage and a group of players. So the, a new manager will come with five or six players and bring in more players, and you're usually you're one of, you're going to get dropped straight into the reserves or on the bench. And these players come straight in that first team. Happens all the time. You see in professional football when a new manager comes in. So even if he was doing well or something happened with the manager and he's gone, new manager comes in, bring his crop of players, and yeah, but you've got to start proving yourself over and over again. So you have to keep proving yourself, proving yourself. And remember, professional players who come down into semi-professional, they're always going to get the advice saying, oh, he played pro, he played pro, he played pro. Even though his leg's gone and he's that, all he's got is a good mouth and the talk, but he can't move anymore. So that semi-professional is very, can you say, nepotism? There's a lot of that in, in that. It's very much structured that way. And I, I still see young players now moaning about that, about how well they play. Someone else, if his mate comes in, they're gone. I don't drink with the manager. I don't go out with managers. I don't do all that stuff. I used to go play my game. Have a chat with a few mates, and I'm gone. I'm not clubbing and going out with them. So that was a lot going on in football club. I think I was treated best at um, Dulwich. I was treated. It was my fault at Dulwich, and I was doing so well. I left when I should have stayed. I've had just a f loads and floods of comments. So, so again, um, um, shout out to um, Sean, Sean Foster. And that's family. Bless our family, Sean. <laughs> Big up my family from 85, start playing <laughs> Accra, uh, Derek and, and like Barry. Um, and then 
ZKZK said respect to um, to you, coach. Lawrence was coming and said, big up coach, my first football coach. Uh, Lawrence is one of my captains. He's doing great, man. I think Lawrence is, is doing a degree now. And he's mm -hmm. doing, he's training with um, Barnsley up your side. Oh, amazing. Amazing. He was at QPR. Brilliant player. Brilliant captain. Brilliant player. Um, Addison has come in and said, Barry is a very good coach. And I train with him for his team, Independent. And he's very supportive coach and gives the best advice. Oh, thank you, Addison. <laughs> Sharing the love. You, you know what? <laughs> like, I've got two like many comments coming in already. <laughs> I can't read everything, guys. But honestly, thank you. And 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 um, before we kind of go into your coaching journey at Accra, I just want to, you know, um, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but um, I've just, I don't know, like the pennies dropped for me. I think. Um, and again, please. Correct me if I'm wrong, or I don't know if, if you, you even if you've thought about this, but I think the reason why you got into coaching was because you wanted to be a father figure to 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 like to like you know boys and lads that that didn't really have the support like you know you yearned for for you know from like your father and also as well coaching is is kind of giving your experience and knowledge back to people that want to listen and maybe as a as a young boy you wasn't listened enough and all or, yeah all, all literally people just kind of ignored you and you was doing your own thing so that's probably how I see why you're such a good coach and why you got into coaching not, not really to breeze because come on you know me you know, you know who I am, and everybody who's putting in the messages who knows me, they know who I am. I help everyone. It's not just football. If I can help and I give people advice, or whatever, that's just my nature. I've always been like that. Yeah. What I see all around me is people who can help, but they won't help. They'll give you a little bit. I give people the full. Yeah. If I'm going to help you, I help you fully. If I love you, I love you fully. That's just how I am. If I'm coaching, I'm coaching with full everything I've got. I'll give you everything I've got when I coach, yeah? When I go home, I'm tired, I'm drained, I sleep because I give everything else. Because coaching is a lot of mental, so I do a lot of talking, one-on-one -on -one talking with players and I look at the smallest little things in coaching, yeah? Because I believe that's what really determines top top players is the very small elements of coaching. But I'm always, I'm always supportive to Breeze. It's not so much about a father figure. I just think there's a... I just see too much people what could help, but don't help. That's what I see a lot of. So if I can help, I'm going to be helped. I'm very community-based, family-based. And I don't just know the players. I like to know the players and their family and everything. Do you understand? Yeah. I like to know everything. That's how I get the best yeah. out of the player. Because I don't just know the player. Yeah. I know all the people around him as well. Yeah. So I'm always pushing them and telling them, this is do this, do that. So it's more than just coaching is more to it than this coaching yeah and yeah and uh, yeah and literally that uh, that kind of is is like connected with like your relationship with your dad even though like that gave you all of the all of the kind of material things that were like you wanted or what he thought you wanted you 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 literally wanted that one-on-one -on -one communication and that's what you're giving to every single player that comes mm. from your club I think, I think coaches should be. If you're into someone's life, 
Like, for instance, you're coaching someone and their whole dreams is to be a footballer. And you said you're coaching them. Shouldn't you be giving them everything? Shouldn't you be supporting them the best you can? Hmm? Very true. How many coaches really do support a child the best they can or someone they're coaching the best they can? How many do? How many just in it like, right, I'm getting £40 an hour, £50 an hour. Yeah? Maybe just set out a little session and bam, bam, bam. And then he's gone. Where's the next boy? I see that all the time, Tabriz. I see that all the time. I'm successful because I, 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 I choose who I want to coach. Yeah, I choose who I want to coach, who I think I can develop. It's a big difference. I select boys. We don't even do trials at independent. You know that. We don't even do trials. So before we get to independent and so let's go to actor, right? yeah, let's yeah. <laughs> 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 honestly guys you know what Barry I've had just so like many comments I can't read everything out honestly but like right. it's just literally like a lot of love um, and uh, a few questions as well let me you know let me kind of read out a few actually because um, hey like this is this is like a show for for the people um, um, George Michael Barry um, has done some great work with um, kids uh, in like regards to football I can relate to to the 80s with football um, um, oh, George, big up, George. <laughs> yeah, um, Jay, I said, uh, big up, coach George. Uh, sorry, big up, coach, <laughs> uh, big up, coach, and Barry. Um, independent FC under 11s, best in South. <laughs> Jay, that's bias. I love yeah. Jay. Jay. <laughs> and then, um, Evans come in and said, like, the best football coach. Um, I have had, and I've been fortunate to be coached by managers who have won European trophies and former England managers. Oh, that's Evans, yeah. Evans, Evans, one of my, he's the first um, independent captain. Oh, wow. Okay. Fantastic player, yeah. I think, Evans, I think Evans went to West Brom. Evans went to West Brom. Terrific, two-footed, terrific player. Absolutely amazing for his age. You'll meet him anyway. I'm going to make sure you meet him. Uh, oh, humble, Evan. Thank you. And and I and and you know Owen and Jose. I've got your questions. Do not worry. They are oh, God. And loaded. Is that, is that Owen? Owen, leave me alone. Owen and and like Jose as well. Trust me, I can have your questions locked up. I will <laughs> go back to them. But let's let's kind of um talk about um your your like journey with with like um Accra. Mm. <sighs> Again, you know, um, I think it's very hard to kind of sum up that in less than two, two, three minutes. But how, how was that the experience with, you know, with like Accra? Different. Let's say different. Let's say completely different. Um, Accra was just, a, he was just a genius. Absolute genius. I know people comment on certain, like, a lot of people didn't know the man and how the man gave his whole life to football and the children on the estate. He wasn't just football, he done all he done art, he done music, he was political. We used to go to police station to get kids out of police station, wrongly arrested. He was into everything for the children and the youth and the community. He done so much for people. And I said to people, when Accra's gone, all you people are criticizing, who's gonna take his place? Yeah? And that's what a lot of people don't know what they've got until it's gone. And when he's gone, he's gone. Yeah? It was one of the hardest decisions for me when I left. Um, Accra. 
I said, it's time for me to move on. That was when the heart, because he meant so much to me, do you understand? We got, we went through so much stages together and so much fights and battles. Because remember, we're talking about the 80s, where Derek was talking about, let's do put teams together and go and enter these big Sunday leagues and that. And we're getting into these Surrey and all those Kent and all these areas. Remember, we're bringing young kids off Thumbelay and Cowley, um, Five Ways, um, Flatsman, all the big rough, we're getting all these boys from Fort and Eve, um, Junction, Peckham. We're getting all young players coming in and we're taking them out of the area into the big leagues, the big Surrey leagues, the big Kent leagues, and we're winning to Bruce. Yeah, no one's never done it. I'm talking about teams where we've just got the top. Do you understand? Everyone's got different colour shorts and different colour socks. And we're going into these people's leagues and we're winning it or just about winning it. I remember once again, you're playing against boys, yeah? You're playing against teams with boys who are playing for professional clubs. We're playing against all different boys come together from the States. So it's completely different and we're amazing then. So uh, when we first started, it was to target... We said, let's target East London. First, we dominated South London, then we targeted East London, and then we dominated North London. And we started to dominate those areas, playing like small-sided game, five-a-side, seven-a-side. Then we went to the 11-a-side, and we started to get our small recognition when we went to leagues. We started to win leagues, and then we started to win London Cups. And that's when we started to get our recognition. The sad thing was, imagine doing so much, and scouts still wasn't picking up the players. Do you understand? You're winning all these with boys, strictly grassroots boys, who have never played organised football, and you're organising them and bigging into these big leagues. And the scouts are seeing this, but still not picking up the players what we're producing. And we're producing players year after year after year, and good teams year after year. Remember, we've got no funding, you know, no funding. We've got no facilities, no real facilities, and we're trading on the concrete pitch. And, and um, you know, I don't put, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but um, wh why, like, do you think scouts were not picking up players from Accra? You're talking eighties, early nineties, eighties. You're talking eighties. Our teams was like uh, ninety, ninety-five percent dark-skinned players. It was it was a shock. It was a shock for us and a shock for them. Remember, there's no kind of teams going into these big Sunday leagues like that. There's no teams like that. The only local rivals what I knew from here, give respect to Kofi, was sadly big up Don as well. Was sadly was the other team what came with us and started to go into these big leagues, the Tandridge League and all that. We was in the Tandridge before Tandridge. I saw Tandridge League in Surrey came out of three other leagues, which was the Sherian District League, which we won the South London League, which we won, and the Southern League. And those three leagues amalgamated. That's why you've got the Tangier League now. A lot of the guys who was into football now, they don't know none of that history. They don't know any of this. The Saturday County League was the association of combined youth clubs. It was all the local youth clubs, all the best players in the local, was in a league called ACYC. And now that league's called the South, South um, London County Youth Football League. So we was in these leagues before these big leagues were even formed. Do you understand? And that's how we began to make our name. Then we started to get invited to professional clubs. We got invited to Brighton. We got invited to Fulham. Um, a couple of other clubs. And um, women. We got invited to those clubs. 
which was a, a massive mistake for the scouts who invited us. We went to Fulham, we played at Fulham's actual ground, and we played at um, their training ground. I can't remember where it was. Was it Moscow Park at the time? I can't remember. And we bought three teams um, um, to Brice up to play their academy teams, yeah? I don't know if Sean and Barry and Michael, Michael Morgan and them remember. And we, George Ender will remember as well. We absolutely destroyed all their teams. We destroyed all their academy teams. Absolutely destroyed them. Who, who was the first player to, to, to actually turn pro from Accra? Oh, Barry Hills. Barry Hills was. And, and, and you, what was the feeling like at like Accra? Um, yeah, left Accra at that time. He was playing for, um, I think, Monaco. He left and we went to Monaco. Big up Michael Watson and all the guys there. Uh, uh, too much names to mention. Everybody, David South, all the players there. Terry, everyone at Monaco, who I can remember. And he went to play with Monaco. Um, but you could always see Barry was special anyway. Barry was special. Barry was so special from a child. I'm going to go back and see if I can read through a lot of these um, messages. Um, mm. So I said, Sir Barry, Jerome. <laughs> yeah. Has come in and um, Matt Matt said yes, Barry, big up, big up, yes, Jerome, yes, Matt. Um, Michael Lambert said, uh, coach Barry, what a man, legend in these streets, <laughs> yeah, Mike. <laughs> Karan has said, um, uh, Barry, you are the best. And, oh, Carrie, yeah, bless Carrie, <laughs> and um, my great little winger, <laughs> and uh. Evans come in and said, Derek laid down the, the foundations for so many boys that people really cannot fully mm -hmm. appreciate, um, especially when you remember what the, what 80s Brixton was like. Yeah, we had the riots, police brutality. Was, come on, man. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, I'm actually, so sorry. So let's, I'm going to reverse all the way back. So the Brixton oh. riots in the uh, 80s. Um, yeah. Like, where were you when, when like, that was happening? I lived on, I was in the middle, I lived on Sumlet and Estate. Sumlet and Estate is in the middle of Brixton. Were you like We outside? got terrorised. We got absolutely terrorised on our estate. Because after everybody left rioting and it calmed down, where do you think they came? The police would come on the estate and just beat us and abuse. My mum got abused so many times when the police was walking past. Just abuse. Because a lot, what people didn't realise, a lot of the police wasn't from London. Because they had to draft them a lot of police from out of London. And they were racist and evil as hell. And if they caught you, you'd get beaten. You'd get beaten. Because remember, a lot of police got hurt really bad in those riots. See, we lived in it. When people came in and went back to the areas, we lived in. We was in the middle of it. Uh, some later say it's in the middle of Brixton. So when people do things, they don't understand. When you go, we're still there. This is where we live. So when you destroy everything and burn it, we lived it. We had to live in it. So when Brixton was burned down, that's where we lived. So it's a different, it's a completely different experience for me, right? Because I lived there. And so you had the animosity with the police. Everybody's gone, but you, you're in Brixton. You live in Brixton. So the police are looking at you, yeah, I'm going to do this one, I'm going to do that one. Um, unless you, I'm just saying this very respectfully. I think, <laughs> and I'm literally just trying to word this, you make sure you word it good. <laughs> um, 
you out of a lot of people who are listening to the show and again you know um like knowing known you for a few years you know uh so literally our yeah. you know um with the experience that you had in the 80s especially in the brixton riots and literally you've kind of said you know how how the kind of police abused your family um but like knowing you now you have you know you like still want to give so much to the community um that's the type of temperament that not a lot of people have because literally a lot of people would literally hold that experience and literally pass their experiences down and their negativity to their kids and to their grandkids like you know I'm just trying to understand. I'm just trying to break, break. Yeah, but, why, but, if, but to Brees, if you if you keep anger, if I kept that anger, yeah, who's who's hurting? Think about it. If you keep anger within you, who's hurting? So why would I do that? Why am I keeping all that anger and that stress and that? Why am I keeping it? Who am I hurting? Remember, my children know when I'm angry. They can feel it. My children know when you're upset, when you're not right. They can feel you. My children know me. They know when I'm upset. So why do I want that? When I come home, my home is very peaceful. I want that for my children. I don't keep anger. I've got to learn to let go. What I've got no control of, I let go. And everyone should do. Huh? You hate someone, the person doesn't even know you hate them. You're walking around all mad. He doesn't even know that you hate them. So what is the point? It doesn't make sense to me. A lot of people need to think those sort of things. You need to use. That's why we have a brain to work things out. Does it make sense? I'm angry. The person doesn't know I'm angry with them. They get all their life. But I'm hurt. So I, let, I just let things go. I let things go. It's no point. What, uh, what was the reason you left Accra? Um... I left Accra, they've changed. I, my, my ideas, were, me and Derek's ideas are slightly different. You know, our ideas are slightly different. And the club was changing more into uh, like a nine-to-five club. Derek met someone, got involved, and they changed, and she wanted the club changed into more like a nine-to-five. Accra is a very much open-door club, yeah, where people was open all the time. So a lot of the boys, what people know on the road, like Tyson, Yellow Baby, Half a Penny, all the notorious boys used to come there. But their behaviour in the club was impeccable. Do you understand? On the road, they might have been the most terrorist young boys going. And other boys, there's more boys. Rest in peace, Yellow Baby and um, Half a Penny. A lot of the boys who are really... Because I saw them, but I knew they were. Even some of them came to my house, yeah, at my mom's spot. I know these boys. But the life's different when you grow up. The environment's different. So that's why I don't like judging people because I don't know what their life was and how their experience was. But that's what Accra was like and it was changing. And plus, my I was working my own identity as a coach and do things the way I want to do it. And Derek had ways. He was very strong-minded with what things to do his way. So I said, you know what? You've got two bulls here knocking heads. So respectfully, part of that. I came back as well in a year. And I said, nah, I've got to be my own. If I'm going to do what I'm going to do, I've got to be on my own and do it the way I want to do it. So we separated that way. But we still were best of friends. 
So there so, was no animosity. We stayed friends. I don't think we could ever be like against each other anyway. Our two spirits were too locked in. Did, did you feel that you had to leave to actually save the, the friendship? No. Not had to leave to, to save the friendship. I had to leave to do what I wanted to do and the way I want to do things. He had his own. Remember, it was his club. I'm not going to go into someone's club and say, you've got to do it this way and do it that way. I'm going to go and do my own. So I needed to go and start to do my own thing. I said, I've been here five, six years. We've, we've got a reputation all over and outside of London. We're producing professional footballers and academy players like it's, do you understand? Like so easily. I don't know if we're, we must be blessed with it because players were just coming and we're just developing a bit better. So I said, let me go and do my thing. Let me just go and do, start my own and start building, building what I can Channeling the way I want to challenge, challenge the boys into professional football or into a better way where football can still earn them a living whilst for their family, whilst they can still have a job and still play professional football. And that's what I still do today. You can still play a good level of football, earn very good money and work and bring on good money for your family. And that's how Independent was conceived. And uh, I'd like, love to know why you picked, or actually why you chose the name Independent. Yeah, isn't it self-explanatory? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I just said independent because I just said, come, let's just do things on our own. Let's just do it our way. Because remember, Accra, Derek Accra, Accra's not his name anymore. A lot of people don't know this. Accra's name is Sancho, Derek Sancho. And it's is, if Dirk was still alive, God bless his soul, he'd be so proud of his little cousin played at Man United. Jordan Sancho is, is Derek Acker's blood. They're all family. His daughter goes with him to the game up to Manchester. A lot of people don't know that. We call the Accra after Accra. And Derek changed the name after Accra because he loved like the Ashanti, the culture yeah, of Ghana. Yeah, so the club was called Accra. Yeah, our, our badge was the Accra Golden Stool. Accra, we had the, our badge was the Golden Stool. Mm-hmm. So we was we was because me and Dad was into a lot of history and stuff like that. We used to sit down and read it. So we chose like, like Accra, the Golden Stool, and this. Like Accra looked like a shadow. He's tall, and his kids are all tall and slim. So that's where the name came from, Accra. But Derek's real name is Derek Sancho, and his family—they're all related. You can see if you look at Sancho's. Family, and you look at Derek, you can see you can see where the blood is. They're all family. Uh, so Roberts come in with a comment. Um, Barry is a king amongst kings and best of inspiration being. Uh, to this day, Barry still inspires me. Thank you. Oh, bless you. Hey, that's a that's a great man, you know, great footballer, Robert Mocker. Remember that name to breathe. Robert Mocker. I'm going to make you meet him as well. <laughs> He's doing great things in the PT industry. And check out his channel. So the first few seasons uh, at Independent. Um, I, and again, you know... Um... Yeah, but even at, well, you forgot, even at Accra, we weren't just Barry Hells. You had Jason Yule. Yeah. And his mum was there, Jenny Yule. Craig Yule. Um, there, his mum, Jason Hughes' mum ran a team called Merrill Rover, Rovers, which was birthed out of Accra. And they were more like East Street over East Street. I'm just telling you some of the history. 
So Jason, you played for us. And Jay, what people don't know, Jason was deaf in one ear. Jason knew. And he went on to play in the Prem for Wimbledon, Wimbledon, if you remember. Yeah, yeah. He played for Wimbledon, played all the massive games for Wimbledon. And we had a never we had a never boy watch. I can't remember his name, but he went on to play for Newcastle United, a striker. Two brothers, one played for Newcastle and one played for someone else. And also actually we had uh, what's the boy's name? Can't remember his name. We had about four boys that came out and played really massive high levels. Well, people that, and that's back then, 80s, late 90s, we were doing that. Where boys are coming up. I remember these, what was shocking a lot of clubs because they don't know these boys. Because a lot of the boys, because when you look at the system in football, a lot of the scouts in there, they look after names. And why we were so successful, which we still have now independent, a lot of when the scouts and clubs come, they don't know none of the boys, which is, makes it so good. You understand? And they see boys, what they don't, no one knows playing at such a high level. They're in shock. They're in awe. Mm. So we've kept that. We still kept that going. That ethos still goes at the club now. Still goes. Um, so we have all those players, Jason, you, all those players was there. Um, Sean's, Sean's come in with a, a memory. Uh, Barry, re remember when I used to lift up U and T? <laughs> Sean's a joking. <laughs> so uh, I love Sean. <laughs> so um, but all right. So with that, with the change from Accra to Independent, yeah, you you like must have had at least um a, a few boys that that literally wanted to. To actually come with you to independent. I had a team. The whole I put it to the boys when I was leaving. I, I, had a, I had a team, and I said to the team, I had a meeting. You can ask George. George was there. George Ender had his brother Mickey, and we had a, I held a meeting. Mocker was there, and I had a, held a meeting. And I said, I'm leaving, and to the team, who wants to come with me can come because I'm going to start a new club. Who wants to stay at Accra because they were at, registered to Accra can stay. And uh, I think you really, had though because hmm? you know. Because literally, you are you are poaching Accra's players, really. Mm. So I mean, like that, you know, that was a bold, bold move. Not really, because remember, it's me and Derek started the club together. Remember, we started together. Me, Derek, Roger, we started it all together. We didn't run it like a business to be like this is yours and this. It wasn't run like that. It was more wholesome, more holistic. So when I left, we gave the players the choice if they wanted to come or did he want to come. And uh, and approximately, what was the percentage that like wanted to come with you? The whole team came. Okay. So, what did Derek do at the time then? Because he's got other teams that he was dealing with. He did nothing. He just wished me all the best, and that was it. He wished me the best. We moved on. I put them into a league and we've just cracked on from there. We cracked on from there. So George, um, Eben. Remember, some of these boys I've had from there were like, I can't remember how old Eben was. Eben was the nine, or eight or nine. George came in at, George and Mickey came in at 11, 10, Mocha. So I've had these boys over years, you understand? So I've had these so boys like Stephen. I was coaching them from they were very young and bringing them through each stage. So, I mean, and again, this, you know, this kind of, 
is probably true true now that players play for the coach or the manager than the club because you know like you are a shining example how the players want to move because you was moving yeah, but it all so, depends on, it all depends on the relationship you've built isn't it well, and what as i always keep saying it, it depends on that trust as well if you're my manager and i ain't got trust in you i'm not going i'm not going to move with you if you're if you've been playing me or treating me right or dealing with me the way i think you should i'm not going to move clubs with you are you you're not going to stick with a manager what you don't trust. You, you don't believe he can take you where you want to go. You're not going to stick with that manager. So, like I keep saying, I've built up the relationship. Remember, the agent's got the relationship with the players. I've got a relationship with the families as well. It's a very close relationship. Yeah? And with the players, because it's not just football. We talk about everything across the board. They know they can come to me with anything. And one thing what a lot of people make mistake with young people and young players You've got to give them the voice. You've got to show that you really believe and listen when they speak to you. A lot of coaches do not listen when players, especially young players, talk to them. They don't listen. They've already got an answer what they're going to say back already. Whilst I'll sit down and listen to what that boy is saying because I want to know what is coming from that boy. Do you understand? Totally. That's why I get the best because I listen. That's why you get a reaction. A lot of people get a reaction from young people because they're not listening to you. You're not hearing what I'm saying. You've got to hear what I'm saying. Totally. Um, so it's a different sort of, understand, it's a different relationship. So uh, we like have the ex-Wolverhampton striker, George Inder, coming, <laughs> <laughs> coming in and said, um, um, a true blessing. Hold it, Tabriz, Tabriz. Hold it, my phone's going to cut and come back. Hold it. Jeez. Uh, this is why I love doing all of, all of like, the live stuff. At least Coach Barry's told me. So, um, George has come in and said, um, a true blessing to me and my twin brother. Um, Sir, Sir Barry's coaching is a blessing from God, which which cannot be replaced. Oh, sorry, replicated. Um, a humble but mighty man with a pure heart, South London's finest, King Barry. And that's from George and Mickey. Let's get there. You go. Yeah. All right. Okay. I didn't see that. What happened now? What was? Did you stick a pin? Yeah. So uh, let's see, George. Um, let me just uh, say exactly what he said. He said, um, "Um, a true blessing to me and my twin brother Mickey. Uh, Sir Barry's coaching is a blessing from God, which cannot be replicated. A humble but mighty man with a pure heart." <laughs> South London's finest king. Uh, uh, that's family there again. Remember, those guys used to come to my house. We used to sit down for hours just talking about football and having jokes and talking about life. I remember George and Mickey came to my house and, and, and a Doberman then he rapped. I left and I saw a Doberman, not a Rockweiler, chasing them home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I asked George about that incident when they left my house and I, my mate's Rottweiler got loose and started to chase them. It was hilarious. <laughs> but they had two great players. Sorry for Mickey, was a fantastic player, but he had um, a bad knee injury. But George went on to have a fantastic professional career with Crystal Palace and Hawks and was unlucky enough. He doesn't like talking about it, but uh, Man United tried to sign him when he was at um, Crystal Palace. And the manager, the Bald Eagle manager, I can't remember his name, I think he, Lombardi, was he there, Lombardo? Lombardo, 
Uh, that was at Palace, was, was it? Yeah, when he was at Palace, I think it was yeah. Lombardo, George, had blocked his move to um, Man United when oh, he was wow. young. Okay. He would have had the chance to play with the great skulls, better than Steven Gerrard. Don't start. Don't start. Yeah. Oh, dear. But I mean, and um, and yeah, and uh, and how independent have now kind of produced, you know, elite players, but like also very well mannered young men. Like you, like must be so proud of of like what you've achieved. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's great, but it's not ended. So I still carry on. I just I, yeah. I still stay humble and just keep moving on. I'm, I'm, I think I'm fortunate to have so much people bring such talented children to me. Sometimes I don't know how it, how it's done because it just seems to just come through the door. Because remember, we're not advertising. We're not really on social media. A lot of the players come to Indian Independent by word of mouth. Evans brought his son back. Um, George Enders brought his son. People bring their grandchildren and say, Barry, coach, bring him into the club. And it, it just keeps working from there. We've had much more. We've had um, with Nyron Noseworthy. It was Roger Winters brought Nyron Noseworthy. We had a great career. Nyron Noseworthy wasn't nowhere near the most talented player in the squad I had. But he was the hardest working player. One of the hardest working players I've ever coached. His sure determination made him get... And it was very funny because how we actually got to... Because he may start his career at Gillingham. And what happened, we went to play a tournament once again in Kent. And we got to the final. And we didn't realise we was under... What was we? Under 14s. I think it was under 14s. And we played... I put him in an under 15 tournament. And we were playing Gillingham's under 15s in the final. I didn't know to breathe. And we lost the final 2-1. And then the Gillingham scout came over to me. Um, I think he works at Palace now. He came over and he goes, oh, you got a very good side there. Blah. And, I, and he goes, they're brilliant. Under, I goes, no, none of them are under 15s. They're all under 14s. And he couldn't believe the group of boys, independent boys, were under 14s. And eight of those boys got put into um, Gillingham. And Naren was one of them. But we had another boy called Jason McDonald who got offered pro there and he didn't take it. And he went to um, university instead. University. And the captain was um, um, one of the best players for independent, best players, uh, God rest his soul, again. his name was Lee Casey. And he was he got scouted by West Ham by a scout called Paul Senior. And he was playing with Joel Cole and all those sort of players. Um, Really sad when he passed away not, not, not long ago. Um, all my respect to you, to the family. And his mother was one of the first secretaries for independent. That's Jenny Casey, who I love the ground she walks on. She's just like, she's she's another one who's just my blood. But um, Lee was was incredible. He, was, he got injured. That's the only reason why he didn't make pro. He had a tackle that took, took his foot off the ankle. Wow. So his career was over. To Brees, he was a centre-back. When the keeper, he was 10 years old, the keeper, this, this I knew he was special. The keeper took a goal kick. I thought he was going to head of the ball, 10 years old, you know, you know what he did? He just controlled he it. He tested the ball down. Tested the ball down. From a goal kick and start and passed it. And and he was not making, not making strikers. So when West Ham saw him at 13, 
it was no it was a no brainer. It was a no brainer. And that's what I'm trying to say. It was these sort of players who were just coming into the club. We just keep getting players of that ability walking through the door. And it's just to nurture the talent. Don't waste it, but nurture the talent. It's to nurture the talent. How can we get their full potential out of them in a holistic, natural way instead of over-coaching or making them... Because I see a lot of players, they, um, they peak too early. A lot of young players peak too early. And people go, oh, he's going to be a pro. He's... And I'm looking at I'm thinking, he's playing his best football right now. Do you understand? How do I regulate that? Because he's going to peak too early. And sometimes we had another player called Jamal, who was at Tottenham. And I warned them, I said, Jamal, we're in a um, seven-year-old. And they played him a year up all the time. And I said, stop playing him a year, two years up. And what happened? By the time he got to 15, 16, injury after injury after injury. And I said, all these developing years, you know, the boy has been playing peak football for Spurs. He's always played a one year or two years up. And he was done. He went over, he played a little bit at Ajax. And then he's totally, totally, Jamal's gone now. Jamal can't play, but outstanding. I could give you stories like that all day of boys we sent to professional club. Because we had a great relationship, um, independent of the great relationship with Tottenham. But then I said lots of players to Spurs. That was like a club. I could just phone them and say, oh, I've got someone. And they would just take the boy. Without even coming to watch him play, they would just take it on my word. That's how, um, as we move on to, that's how Nathaniel Klein got into Tottenham. Mm. I first saw him. And, and uh, you know, I wanted to talk about Nathaniel Klein because, of course, you know, he, he like played for my beloved team, Liverpool. Uh, and, of no. course, he was at Palace first. Well, well, actually, can you, um, well, I don't, well, he wasn't at Palace first because he was at Spurs. So I'd, I'd like love to kind of get that story about Nathaniel. Well, the story was, he, Nathaniel was playing for Accra. He was playing for Accra and Derek rang me and goes, Barry, I think I've got someone a bit special here. Come and have a look at him. Come and see what you think. And he was playing on Tooting Bet Common. So I went to Tooting and Bet Common and I was watching him and I go, Jesus, this boy is good. He's running full pace, the ball like it's stuck to his foot. And then when he's lost the ball, because he was like the outstanding player of the team, mm. he's lost the ball and it's the same energy he's running forward, he's running back. I go, Jesus, you don't really see this in young players. Usually he can dribble forward, he can mm. go back. He was a winger. He started off as a winger. Yeah. So I go, so I've got to see him again if he puts the same energy, the same um, the same commitment. Watch them again. Basics, could defend, could attack, score goals, cross the ball. I go, yeah, he's good. So I said, let me, I went one more time and watched him. <laughs> and I spoke to his mum and goes, yeah, I watched him three times. I think he's good enough to play for Spurs. So I can't remember my link in Spurs. He was head of the youth, so... I phoned Spurs and said, listen, I've got someone I think is really special. It's good enough for that level. So Spurs took him. So he was at Spurs, sent him there at 10. He was there from 10 or 11. He was there till he was 14. And every year they give the players a report. Mm. So his mum rang me and goes, Barry, come. So I went around his house and read the sport from Spurs. And it wasn't that glowing. And they said he's weak at this, he's weak at heading, he's weak at that. So what I do, when I send boys into clubs, I always have this philosophy. I goes, you're, you're, because Spurs is the one, sorry, Spurs changing from a right winger to a right back. He learned that at Spurs. Was talking about it. And anyway, so that when I go, any boys go to a club, I go, when you go to a professional club or any club you go to, 
if you're a right back, centre mid or centre forward, always look at who your opposition is. So I said, how much boys at Spurs are ahead of you? How much competition? He goes, there's five or six boys. I goes, you know what, mum? The family, they're all quality players. I think you should go to another club. Let's change our strategy and go to another club where you're more in the top three of the players who are there. So I phoned, once again, I can't remember who I phoned that family. And got him in straight away. Got him in at Palace straight away. Had his trial and they signed him. So there's three or four. So his journey was from 14. Had a good foundation with the Tottenham training. Went to Palace. They loved him. Good, brilliant defender. Good for up and down. Went there. So he's there. Then he was the last one to offer a scholar at 16. So we're worried. Wait, are they going to offer the scholar? His mum's shaking and panicked. So he's the last player got offered the scholar. But at Palace now, when he got to the scholar stage, 16 to 18, there's three younger players, there's three scholar players ahead of him. So his mum's saying, Barry, he's, he's always on the bench. So I go, I said, Chow, I'm coming with you. Let me come down. I'm coming. So I've gone there, looked at these players, I'm meant to be ahead of him. I go, you know what? You're better than them. You're better than you're listening to what they're saying. So I had to start to get him. See, it's all mental. Mm. So I had to get into his head that you are better than them. I goes, you're better than them, boys. There, you are better than them. And he started to get past train. I goes, the fact you're the best young defender there. And let me skip because I can't tell the whole journey could be taken forever. So he's played well. He's regular now in, in the scholar team, 18s. And then... Um, the number one defender is a Butfield, right back for the first team at Palace. So I think God works in a funny way. Butterfield got injured. And the other two pro um, defenders got injured. So who's left? Three defenders, first team defenders got injured. Wow. Ugly Nathaniel's left. It's a televised game on a Friday night at Palace. Um, the manager was Neil Warnock. So Neil Warnock rings him and says, you're in, you're starting tomorrow. So at 17, he's starting for Palace first team. And what does he do? He gets mad in the match on a televised game. And the rest becomes like his career starts to, to go from there. Then I got to go in and meet Warnock. And Warnock wants to give him a new contract. So I said to Warnock, it's not about the money. I said, just guarantee team me that you'll play him. Because the games will give him the experience he needs. It ain't about the money at 17. Mm. Just give him that experience he's playing. And that's how me and Warner became friends till today. Because I said to him, it's not about, I just want this boy to play. It ain't about the money. Just let him play. And he played a hundred and something games at um, uh, Palace and then moved on to Southampton. No, where no. I, well, yeah, yeah, Southampton. Yeah, 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 Southampton. Yeah, yeah moved on to Southampton where uh, I met one of the most um, amazing managers. I think it was, I can't remember, it's Pearson or something like that was there. And... The chairman, when I went in with um, Nathaniel to meet Southampton, the chairman uh, or the director, whatever he was, says, who are you? What are you doing there? Doesn't know me from Adam, but who are you? What are you doing there? Wow. So I just, I just looked at him and then um, Pearson stepped in. Very rude, man. But at, when we went to Southampton, is where Southampton, I said, this, is, this was a good club for any footballer because what they had there was no... They had a holistic approach, like they had a sleep diary. Remember I told you? Yeah. Southampton had a sleep diary, food that they had to keep sleep, food diary, um, just water, 
done yoga, um, everything you could think of, um, Pilates. It was strictly holistic. That's why Southampton were producing so many young players because the training was based on how you eat and how you sleep and how you looked after your body. So that's why Southampton had such a great academy because everything was based and everything was meticulously done that way where they've done, this is what you eat this way. Can't eat that, can't eat that. Your body type is this. So all the players were flying there and the family just flew at there. And then Liverpool came in for him. But the joke is Liverpool came in for him, which he wanted to go. And then we had a late, Tottenham came in for him right at the death. Wow. So we had a secret meeting with Tottenham in a restaurant. And they filled us out with expensive food and, and more money. Wow. <laughs> Tottenham offered more money than um, um, yeah. Liverpool, but it's heartless. Everybody loves Liverpool in the history and everything. So yeah. it ended up. That's a massive story. That's a massive story. That's a, There's that's much, a, much, much, much more to it, but I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine. I can imagine. There's loads of stories of professional boys from here going into football in 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 that way. Wow. And and um, again, um, I don't want to digress too much because, again, I've got so many comments and, and again, mm. so many questions. But, like, the players trust you in terms of, you know, it, like, in terms of their... But like next moves, you know, either at non-league, um, at the elite level, and you know, they like trust you in terms of looking at their contracts, seeing like the like the win bonuses. The... No, really, I'm not the priest, I'm not their I'm not their agent. I just look and, after yeah. them. I just we just have conversations like we're having now and what's the best, what do you think is best for your career? And even when you're going to a club, even if a professional, you still gotta look, does this Whatever things I'm not going to send a player to a club and it doesn't suit the style of football. Why am I going to this guy's a footballer and I'm sending him to a club where this kicks the ball 60 yards up the pitch? Why am I sending a player there? But some people send boys just to say, "Oh, I'm in an academy," but the academy style of football has to suit that player, so you've got to pick and match it. And then you've got to look at what's the players in your position where you play. So all those have to come into consideration. It's not just about going into a football club. Yeah. It's not just about going into a club. You've got to look at that. Does this manager suit you? Is it your style of manager? Is it your style of play? That's why you see a lot of big players turn down certain clubs. I'm not going there. I don't like the way they play. I don't like the way the manager coaches. You understand? Or they've got this midfielder, that midfielder, and that midfielder. How am I going to get in? Wow. I'm just going to be a squad player. I don't want to be a squad player. Mm. So those... Once again, dynamics come into everyone's conversations. It's not just about the money. Some players might be just about the money. I'm going there, I'm going to get more money, but I'm not going to play. Do you want to play football or are you just going to make great money? It's a, it's a balance you have to sort out with you and your family. So that's yeah. a lot of conversations that I've Yeah, that's, you know, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a video in its entirety. <laughs> <laughs> We've had... So, so, so many messages. I'm going to literally try and get through as like many as I possibly can. Um, MCM, um, Barry was a much more than a football manager. He was uh, an example of how to carry yourself in life. Me, me and my twin, George. Oh, so this is... Um, Mickey. Mickey. Oh, yeah. Great. Um, <laughs> um, me and my brother, George, um, had like our football in minds, opened up after playing for Barry. Uh, we have George Lister saying... I've like just like got in 
big up to coach. I will catch up on the replay. Ask George when he's coming out. When is he coming? Uh, you know what, George, <laughs> George, is, George is probably on the plane right now as we speak. George is um, the journey, man. Yeah, he is. Um, M, MCN is uh, kind of coming again. Barry is the Cruyff of you football. Uh, <laughs> I wish he, I was. He, he is a humble giant, and she went and she went the FA World Cup. Uh, I'll show you. Wake up to his talents. England will win the World Cup. Me and um, me and George remember the, uh, the like Rockwiler stories. <laughs> I told you. Yeah. Uh, good vibes, and then literally, John has come and said, Barry is honestly a great guy. Um, and then accountant says, Coach, Coach Barry again. Um, oh, legend John, John. Barry, JJ, you know, bless up, man. <laughs> you know, uh, and and then literally, Michael's come and said, Um, my like son's de development is in great hands. Salute, Coach Barry, proper oh, legend. My no, speak, oh, to breathe, stop there, stop there, to breathe, to breathe. First and foremost, legend. Listen, you know, no, no, to breathe. You see Mikey, yeah. tell Mikey I'm still, Mikey plays for Ellen. He's um, some days independent. You, you know what? I'm not happy with, I'm going to have a chat with Lloydy about him. Like, uh, so literally, um, we like had a friendly, um, this is, you know, you know, like a few like weeks ago, and uh, let's <laughs> I, I really think Mikey scored the best goal out of, out of all of L you know LSU goals and it hurt because how he slapped me was, <laughs> it hurt me and you know and I looked at him with so much disgust but like how he slapped that goal man I'm like yeah, you know what the guy still got it man so um shout out you know um, um big big shout out. and she before we move on um I've literally got a video which I want to play to everyone and um she, I want you to and again I'm really conscious of time so again you know again thank you guys for everyone that's that's some tuning in I haven't forgotten the like questions from Owen and Jose, but there's a quick video that I just want you guys just to quickly watch. We've got a lot of boys who like on the fifth, they look very, very strong in their own age, but when you put them up a year, there's a big difference. Like Taylor here, for instance, he's a, he's a right back. We've played him left back for two years and he's come on so much. At first he said, I can't play left. I said, just learn, just use the left foot, learn positioning comfortable striking the ball it's all in the head using the opposite foot and now he's become accomplished left back he can play center back and right back obviously he can play right back but he's very good he's come a long way i don't like this i can't no 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 you can't you can can be done so now he believes in himself and he's become a top player in the whole league in that position one of the best left backs in the whole league but i don't just call him he's my left back my center back and my right back Yeah, um, and uh, you know, again, I could have literally had the privilege of kind of coming down and actually um, watching. Yeah, thank you. You, know, you and like Frank actually kind of uh, do your coaching, and um, but again, it's literally, I think that the biggest thing I kind of caught from that video was I don't like the word cat. Like, you can do anything that you want to do if you just put your mind to it, right? Yeah, yeah, you've got to instill that into our young people, man. They could be anything they want to be. And I, I, I'm saying that from my heart. This is not something where I just say. People just say cliches. I, I actually do it. I live by them sort of things. I want young people to be try and be anything they believe they want to be. And they can. Nothing's here to stop you. Nothing. Most of the time, our fears, our, our fears don't exist. We put the fears there ourselves. 
Most things what you're scared of doesn't really exist if it's in your head. So obstacles are there to be broken down. So let's break them down together. Yeah. So let's talk about the current crop um, at Independent. Uh, you have uh, one that player that's at Middlesbrough. Um, could you? Um, could you? Oh, that's Pharrell. That's um, Pharrell Willis. Yeah, that's Pharrell Willis. I mean, Pharrell was Pharrell was a, um, a young boy with another young lad called Troy. We had on the show. Remember Troy? Yes, I remember. They Troy. both played for Fulham, and um, Troy was with us when he was about six years old. Pharrell. Fro was at Fulham from he was about eight. And then he got released at 13, which completely is credits. Just died. You know, you're at a club for like five, six years and then he died. Troy got lit and it was bad. So Pharrell had to fight his way. But the problem when I got Pharrell, Pharrell couldn't play grassroots football. He's a cat one academy player, but he couldn't play grassroots. He struggled with the physicality, the speed. Um, he's getting kicked over and shouting out the ref. The rest of the same play on. He couldn't get his head around it. His dad's getting angry. Get stronger. And I say to dad, it takes time. He's never played grassroots. He's always played in an academy environment. So it's to reshape how we played football, which I always talk about. It's transitions in football. Remember, I always talk about that. At different ages, there's transitions in football. So he was going through a transition. He was going from nice, comfortable academy football back to grassroots South London football some of the toughest football you're going to play I remember all our teams playing the top divisions so he took it a good eight months to get used to playing grassroots at that level that speed that physicality even though he was a fantastic footballer so he was just nurturing growing and loads of he might be watching now because I've told him to watch he could be well watching now and we still have, we had conversations up to the other day. We still speak all the time, talking about getting his confidence, getting, getting, preparing himself for the first team. At the moment, he's been like the number one performer for the 21s. So he's on the verge of playing in the first team. So it's, a, it's that transition. Are you ready to transition into that football? So it was, it's proud seeing his journey has been a really tough journey because he went trials all over the country and said, stop doing that. Stop going on all these trials. Focus on your football. Get back to where you were. And then you go when you're ready. Preparation is the key. Stop trialing, trialing. Get yourself prepared properly. And it ain't just physically dribbling around cones and strength in the gym. It's up here. Get your head ready. Get your head right. And then after that, played. We travelled up and down. We went to uh, Middlesbrough. We met a guy called Shane from George. And he brought down the Middlesbrough scout to watch Independent. At, um, where was it? I can't remember where it was. I think it was at Barnelms. We played against Barnelms. And after 10 minutes, the, the, the main scout at Middlesbrough picked him out. He said, I like that boy. I like that number 10. I really do like him. And then he picked out um, George's son, Max Ender, another terrific player. And then in the holidays, they went up to um, just kind of like again. In the holidays, um, Pharrell and Max went up to Middlesbrough to do training. George will correct me if I'm wrong. So Max and Pharrell go to Middlesbrough in a training. And then they get put into a game against Everton, your rivals. They played Everton. So they're, just, they're still not signed. They're trialers playing for Middlesbrough. They've gone to play Everton. 
Everton um, youth, Everton 16s against Middlesbrough 16s. And um, they've ripped, ripped, Mac, Max and Frells ripped Everton to shreds, ripped them to shreds. I think Max scored two and Frells got all the assists. So what they've done, they've dragged them off, and they've had to hide them. <laughs> yeah, just, everybody's yeah. talking about, oh, these talking two, about no them, yeah. So yeah. they've dragged them and benched them and hid them and put them on the bench. And then both of them just offered to, to play. That's cutting a very long story once again. Yeah. I'm compressing everything because I can't go through <laughs> every stage of it. Because I've got so many stories like that with players. We have I've, got, I've also got a big up uh, Daniel Carr, his, his mum, and Coach Carr. Uh, Daniel Carr left us, played semi-pro, well to be a pro at Huddersfield. Played for Huddersfield in the Championship, played in Ireland, went to Cyprus and Greece, played in the Europa Cup. He's gone back to Ireland at the moment now. But he was my captain, he's my godson, and he went on to have a great, great career in football. And he was another independent captain of another age group, which I've compressed again. But Betty and Junior, blessed to them, Daniel, everyone, the family, all my love goes out to them. But he's another player what came through the independent system. And you've also got, you've got now at Southampton, you've got Joe Arrivo, who plays for your, who do, I don't know if he's for Nigeria or England, he's a ball. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not even laughing. Both, both, both. He always come. Anyway, Joe Arrivo, Joe Arrivo, Joe Arrivo came through a guy called Eddie, who brought about four young players. So Joe was playing for us, he was eight, at eight years old, he was playing for He was playing with my good, good friend and who I do work with now is Curtis. So he played with Curtis, who's now an agent. But um, Joe came at eight. From eight years old, you could already see Joe when he was talented. Tall, he was tall, slim, but with exceptional feet. And one thing you find when the player's going to go far, you see early, is game understanding. Mm. At that early age, he understood. He had great feet and talent, but he still knew when to pass, when to release, when to dribble. And that's, the, that's, that's what skill is, is understanding. Doing the basics well. Yeah? That's all skill is. And a lot of people do not master the basics and go on to skill. You haven't mastered the basics of football. You haven't mastered, you haven't still ended up game understanding. So Joe had that. And then Joe played for us from eight up to 15. And then went to two, the Mitchell, and I think he went to Staines. He'd done a little bit of kinetic, and then he went to Charlton. And then from Charlton, he got bought by Glasgow Rangers. And then from Glasgow Rangers, he's gone back, come back down into England in the Premiership with Southampton. But he was a member. Him and there's quite a few in that team who could have, should have been professional footballers and not. But I can keep going because I've got so, there's so many players, you understand? Yes. You know, but we again. haven't got time to keep going and tell the whole story of all these players, what coach pushed them through the professional clubs. Boys who did make them up. I'm, I'm just happy a lot of boys are still playing conference. I can't forget um, Dexley and Derris. They grew up around the corner from me. They was at Chelsea. Derris was at two brothers at clubs. Big up Derek, Derek and Dexley. And I'm forgetting all your family. They're from Sublet. They lived on the corner where I lived. And they went on to have great careers in football. So I, there's, there's so much to mention. But I don't think a lot of people realise how much professional football is we've pushed out of a small club with no funding or nothing. I don't think people, people really realise. 
Brilliant. Amazing. So um let's let's kind of go into like the questions that um you know people have put into uh, the like, chat box. So Jose has come in and said, um, what is your private what is your proudest moment um as a coach? Uh your like biggest high that you really look back on with pride. I still I, I just think I'm still going forward. I don't I haven't really looked back. Oops. Sorry. Sorry. No problem. Yeah. Um, sorry to be it froze there, sorry. Um, to Jose, Jose, I'm always still looking forward. I'm just um I'm proud of every moment of independent of where we are today. But um all the new crop of players were got so fantastic and the parents just the future is just looking great again. It's looking so well and I've got a fantastic group of people around me who inspired me when many times I thought I'll just stop and stop doing this football. I'm tired of it now. I'm old. I've got my um, I've got my free bus pass now. Let me rest. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but I've got I've got people like Selena, great mum, Jason, I've got Frank, I've got George now. Yeah. Who will support me. I've got my nephew Nathan, I've got Evan. I've got people who's come back and they're around me and that those are the things that keep me going. Do you understand? Seeing people still showing me the love. I've got so much love what people show me. Every time I think that's enough, you've been in it for over 30 years. I just keep going and going. And I see other bright coaches going up. Big up to Michael, big up to Trevor, big up to NASA, big up to Stanley and them guys who are still, all the youth clubs who are pushing. Big, big up to Trevor because I've seen where Trevor started from and where he is now. I've got so much respect for Trevor and we always, me and Trevor talk as well. We've got a lot, but um, so much. Big up Carl, Carl, my advisor. <laughs> but Josie, yeah, I just keep going, Josie, because um, the main thing for me, I'm proud, but I, I still say I'm always learning, always learning. And the saying is you never lose, you learn. You never lose, you learn. That's the saying. So there's so much thing. All of these people, like you see them showing me love on the Texans and it's because the love is there. We, we're just together. It's been like that all the way through with me. I just keep myself very transparent with people. And uh, another question from Halsey as well. Tabrice, I can't hear you for some reason. Can you can you hear me? No? Yeah? No? I'll go, Tabrice. I'm using the other one. Speak to him. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes, yes, I can hear you. I'll go to Bruce, I'm using the other one. Speak one. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes, yes, I can hear you. Go ahead. I'll go to Bruce, I'm using the other one. Speak one. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes, yes, I can hear you. Go ahead. I'll go to Bruce, I'm using the other one. Speak one. We now have an echo now. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes, yes, I can hear you. Go ahead. I'll go to Bruce, I'm using the other one. Speak one. Yeah, have an echo. Yeah, coach, we... Coach, we... um, We now have an echo. Oh, coach has gone off again. Let me put this back on. Again, this is what I love about doing doing like live live shows. So let's just wait for for that coach to, to to come on. Again, like what you know, what a story so far, man. It's 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 just it's just amazing. Let's let, let's see if coach coach can you can yeah, you hear me? yeah I'm back I'm back I'm back you're back you're back. Um, so Jose's um I got another question. Have you got any recommendations from your from your experiences? on what players can do if they experience those situations with politics to 
to improve or go through their situation. So literally, um, I think this was when like you was talking about the politics regarding um non non league clubs in terms of um um when when like the manager or the coach didn't pick you and there were like other people that were like you know like the kind of manager's sons and cousins like what 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 every, like, every situation is different you've got you've got to weigh it up is it worth me staying or is it worth me going or is that manager going to go before me because he he hasn't got a clue sometimes you can see a manager ain't got a clue you know he's going to get sacked he's going to be gone so it's, it's it's a very fine fine decision to make do i stay do i go through this will he eventually pick me or do you think there's no way this guy is going to pick me it's a very delicate situation with, with when you're a player and management because sometimes you think the manager doesn't like you, you think he doesn't trust you, and then the next minute you you could be back in the team and you play regular. So it's very fine. And there's instance where you know I'm not going to play. This guy is not going to. He doesn't even recognise me. I'm not going to play at all. You've seen it in professional football when players are out and all of a sudden another manager comes or that manager flings him back in and he's back in. So it's very delicate. What do I stay or do I go? It's 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 a very delicate situation to do when you're at a club um owen has come in with his question much much love to like owen uh again he's, he's oh big up owen big, did he big, play big. did he play did he play um, i think he <laughs> played yesterday play. you know um <laughs> we were kind of battering him um, in the group so um let's again big big shout out to owen uh loving this uh get to know more about coach and to see to breeze got stumped for words <laughs> <laughs> Always um, on you, Caprice, yeah. I know, I know, I know. You always be so. A question from Owen: What's the most important attribute any player needs to have to to like stand a chance of going far in the game? I think um, the most. A lot of the players I've coached who have gone gone all the way, they totally believe that they are the best of what they do. They they'll challenge anyone. They'll they'll they think. I'm good enough to be there. You've got to believe you have the right to be there. I can play with the best. And a lot of good players don't have that. Some players just don't have that. They're in awe. They go into those environments and they seem to be in awe of them. But you've got to believe. You've got to believe in you. You've really got to be focused and have that mental strength within you. A lot of football ain't even about that. A lot of great players, it's, it's, it's their mental strength what takes them through. Like I said, Naren was it? the greatest player, but he believed he was the best and strongest midfield player. He would run box to box, box to box, box to box and dominate way better players. He would just dominate players, but he wasn't the greatest footballer, but he would dominate any player he came up against. And look, he went all the way to the, all the way to the top. It's so much about the mental strength and the belief in oneself and what you do and looking after yourself. Because the main thing when I coach main players, I want them, I don't, I don't look far into all this fancy. I want them to learn the basics and game understanding. And then we move on. Basics, game understanding, then we move on. And mental strength. You can do all that fancy stuff from whatever you want to do. But if you ain't got those things solid, for me, you're not, you're not going to get to the top. Not going to get to the top. Uh, and there's many of you vets who still can't do the basics. 
<laughs> Could be his wife. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so um, Faith, um, Faith has asked a question. How does Coach Barry switch off or re-energise? That's, and that's a good question, actually, because, again, you know, um, you live and breathe this. No, my daughter's put me in place. My daughters don't like football. So when I go home, there's not much football talking at all. Not much talking about football at all. I really have to switch on. And they like my they like my attention. Because all the way through the years growing up, I've always been doing football um, and back and forth. So my, my daughters, and they kind of, as you know, my daughters are academic and speak several languages and stuff like that. And one of them is doing a, she's just done a degree in chemistry and she's going on to her master's. So sometimes she needs me there just to, because I don't know nothing about chemistry, but she needs me there as support to give her a hug when she needs a hug, sit down, watch a movie with her. My other daughter's on her last year of accountancy. She just came in not long ago and said, ah, oh, daddy, give me a hug. You know what I mean? So it's like, we'll just want your attention. So I've sometimes I've just got to cut everything. Let's watch a movie and sit down and watch a movie. Like I said to you, to be she's doing all this. Family's important, so share that time. So it's a great question, but yeah, I've got daughters what control me. Mm-hmm. And I've got faith, I've got the women, like I said, women would rule the world soon. They're gonna take over. Definitely, 100 percent And and you know, um it's it's kind of really important because of course, you know, um sometimes when you're so focused on on like one like goal and then like you have kids or literally or, you know, yeah. you get married or, like, you know, yeah. you move house, you know, the, like, dynamics of your journey changes. I mean, yeah, how, literally, how, how, like, did the dynamic change when your firstborn came into the world? It did. I, I stopped for a while. I had a break. I took a break from um, football for a couple of years. I wasn't doing anything. I didn't do anything. I stopped. I, I stopped. I stopped for like two or three years. I wasn't coaching at all. Independent completely stopped. And then I went back into it. Because it was my first child. And I thought, wow. I was blown away to police. It was my first child. And I said, wow, I've got I was just there all the time. All the time. So that was that was my first major gap in coaching and playing football. This is when my first child was born. So plus she was born premature. Okay. So that was a lot. She was born a bag of sugar. Mm. So I spent four, we was in hospital for four months every day. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, so again, you know, that just kind of puts life into perspective. And like, you know, sometimes you, like you think that uh, football or something else is so important. But, you know, when, when you see someone uh, uh, that kind of, it's, it's that unconditional love, isn't it? You know, it's like, you know, um, I want to protect this this small human being with all of my might and all of my heart. And there's nothing that's gonna stop me doing that. And it just yeah. changes your your kind of perspective of of life. Yeah. True. So um seven sobers is coming and said, uh uh bless the Barry. Uh Marlon, can't forget Marlon and Mum. <laughs> Richard, big up Richard, all the soldiers, Richard, everyone. That's Marlon, great footballer. Okay, brilliant. And then um Baza is the best mentor. God bless him. Um 
Maxim, and then of course Owen has come in again. Oh, Max, big up Max, carpet, carpet FC, that is <laughs> <laughs> Max. And uh, then, you know, then of course, Max and his dad, Mikey. Yeah. Oh, bless Owen. Yeah, so, uh, so I mean, you know, I mean, coach, I mean, now, now you've expanded independent now, so there's a vets team. What else for you personally? And well, I've got, well, I haven't said thanks, thank you to the vets, like to you know, Raymond was my neighbor, you do know that, don't you? No, yeah, Raymond, me and Raymond lived neighbor. Raymond was my neighbour. Our families was like joint. Raymond was my neighbour when I when I moved to Stratton. Raymond, me and Raymond were neighbours. We live opposite each other, so we grew up. I'm not raging for Raymond from this very young man. So it's a pleasure to have Raymond managing. He managed a youth team first, and now he's like experience. He's managing. He's managing the men's team, and I'm I'm so proud of that. There's a lot of people in there. I got Mad Marlon. Who Marlon? Remember Marlon played with Georgia. Do you remember? I didn't. Shugzi, Shugzi, Shugzi. I know all the Shugzi's family. Shugzi's my family. Shugzi's my blood. He's another one. Come to my house. I got. I've been to his house, mum's house. We're very, very close. So a lot of the people I've got very, very close relationships with. So we grew up. So age is something we just pushed out there. It's something we've all grown up. It's very organic. Remember, Nino's my nephew. You know that. Yeah. At least you know that. I'm sure you know that. Yeah. yeah. And Raymond's my name is Shugzi. I grew up with Shugzi was in one of the he was in the first independent team. He could tell you a whole history about independent Shugzi. Because he was in the first independent team. Black Clock, pick up Black Clock. Gary, everyone there. A lot of the boys I brought over, like Nathan and people like that, Carly. Because I used to run a Monday night football thing with a lot of those guys, semi pros, some pros used to come down, some grassroots used to play with Monday. So oh, as much of them as I can, I'm trying to bring them into our vets team. So I love all the vets. I've, I've never coached a men's team in my life, so I can't, I don't have to have too much opinion on it because I've never done it. I've never coached a men's team in my life. That's fair enough. And I don't that's think I will. <laughs> no, that's, that's <laughs> too much politics in that for me. So. And um, Robert's kind of come in with uh, a question. Um, with the amount of time that you've spent developing young players, do you have time to develop budding coaches with your wealth of knowledge? Yeah, I've, I've tried to, but sometimes I get caught up so much. So most of the times I tell coaches just to come and watch. Just come and watch what I'm doing. Just to come and watch. Come and watch sessions, what I do. I've got one tomorrow where um, a coach is coming, coming to watch a session where I'm doing with some very talented boys tomorrow. So I do try to get young coaches to come and watch and see exactly what I do and try to develop. But I like people to develop their own skill as well. If you know, even if I'm doing drills or we're talking or coaching, it's to develop the way which you can put it across your way, even if you have to tweak it. Because I've done it all my life, watching videos. Like I said, I've watched a lot of the Ajax stuff because I love the way Ajax um, coach a lot. I watch a lot of theirs and listen to a lot of their coaches' podcasts just to see the way they deal with people and, and the mentality of how they deal with players. And it's very, very interesting. I see why. And a lot of what Ajax do, why they have so much success, because they never branch off from the basic things of football. They never branch off far from there. So that's what I'm really trying to instill in 
players, coaches, everyone. Always master those basic things. Because you know, most Ajax players are two-footed and they've all got a great football brain. That's why I always push at a very strong mentality. So um, what is next for for yourself? What's the um, Retirement. Retirement? Really? <laughs> I, that's, that's not happening. <laughs> it is. I'm, 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 I'm being contemplating to sitting back in a few years' time and just watching. I'll be there, but I'm just sitting back and watching. I'm watching. I told you, the freedom path. Sitting back. It's been a long journey. It's been a very long journey. Very long, long journey I've had over 30 years. And a lot of people still don't even know. I've just told you bits and pieces what I've done. There's still so much more with players and club stuff what I've done. So it's too much to tell in one short segment. But at least people's got a better idea of what I've done and, and my journey going across and all the wonderful people I've met who, who I've become friends and very close friends with and are dear to me. I can't forget Andrew, Andrew Butler. I can't forget Sam Ward who's put in so much as well. All of those people. I can't forget Susie who's always there by my side. Like I said, all these people who's helped the club and got the club where it is and are still helping. I'm always, I'll always be humble and appreciate those people's help me. So it's not just about Barry Gordon or Barry Morris, whatever they you know me by. Um, it's about everybody around me who's got me to where I am. Coach, um, I just mm-hmm. want to say uh, again, thank you for for like supporting not only like the channel. You know, I want to put like the channel aside uh, and. Um, mm-hmm. I like remember when we had our first conversation and our first conversation lasted about two hours. <laughs> it was about a two hour conversation. And uh and like there was no ego, you you know, um you you were literally asking me what you what you know what like you could do for me. Like you was literally just saying like to Breeze, like what is it that I can do for you? Like um who is it that you need to speak to? Um and like the again, like the wealth of knowledge and experience, and and the literally how you were just so open, like st- straight off. Um, mm. it, it's it's, and you know, um, I think like even even like this show now, this like like two and a bit hour show just doesn't do it justice. Even you said to Bree, she told me forty five minutes. I did say forty five <laughs> minutes. minutes. I did say forty five minutes, but. Uh. It's, it's, you know, it's and I still don't even mention everyone. There's so much people I've got to mention, and I do apologise if I haven't mentioned because there's so much people I've got to mention who help, and this I can see they're really there for me. There's, there's so much people. I, oh, it's just too much. There's so much people. So if I haven't mentioned you, still, I, I just you're still there for me, and I, I love all of them, and they know that I'm there for them. Coach, honestly, thank you. Mm. Thank you so thank much. Thank you to Breeze. Good show, good chat. We'll do another one sometime. Let's do, we could do one with some of the players. If you want. They remember much more than I remember because it's been so long. They remember more details. So you could do some with some of the players if you want all together. They'll remember things that I can't remember because there's so much stuff that I can't remember. And uh, Coach, I just want to say to you, if there's anything that I can do personally, Oh yeah, to bring thank you for the the, the what's it called defibrillator. 
thank you for putting in touch with that. But once again, um, we lost yesterday, so but we'll be back. What was the score to be? So three one. Three one. Oh, four one. Four one. Okay. Well, I mean, again, you know, it's it's like it's like still an early season for like independent. And yeah, we're building. We're, we'll, we'll be there. We'll be there. We're not talking. We're keeping quiet. We're keeping very quiet. And we're just. We'll be there. Wow. My faith is in with my management, my Raymond, my club, and Gary. Don't worry. We'll be there. We've got a good group of players there. I can see something happening. We've got a good future coming there. Coach, thank you. Mm. Thank you so much for like spending this like two. Oh, hours. thank you. Tabriz, good chat. We spoke about a lot of things. Once again, apologise if I didn't mention you and all the people, but next time we'll have another journey and you'll be mentioned. All right. Uh, so, Can um, I tune off now? Can I tune no, off? No, no, no. Like you, <laughs> you, you got to hold on. Mikey's saying, saying um, sorry, coach, about yesterday. Um, I wonder if Mikey scored. Um Because, yeah. I'm like, Mikey knows I'm not accepting his apologies. He knows that already. <laughs> He can say sorry, I think I'm not And he started for two for independent yesterday. Two good goals. Little Callum got a great goal as well. Um, all of them played well. My little under 11s had a great game. Fantastic intense game yesterday. So pick up all of them. Zane, um, Samantha, Maris, who else was there? The new boy Alex, new boy Edward, dad Tony, dad Beak, all of them. It was a great day. Thank you to Moses um, and his dad, Jay. Thank you for well, Omar for giving me a lift, picking me up. Thank you to Ramsey. Everyone. It was a great, we had a great day yesterday. And on the 15th, had a great win as well yesterday. They played with nine men, two nil down and came back and won actually. Good job from Frank and George. Good coaching. That's, that's amazing. So we had a good day yesterday. It was just uh, to get a good... We just needed that result from the vets, but I know that will come back again. We will get a good result there. So I'll hold on. Do you finish off the breeze? <laughs> thank you so much to you, Coach. And mm. also thank you to everyone that's that's tuned in and literally mm. put in, um, you know, amazing comments and, and uh, questions. We will be back next week, Sunday, 8 o'clock. Please like, subscribe, and share. Thank you so much, guys, for listening. See you guys next week.